Well, tonight we continue our series through the book of Nehemiah. We're looking at this issue of rebuilding a life and how does God rebuild a life. And so we're going to go a little bit deeper tonight. The last couple of weeks or last week, we looked at the issue of how do you overcome opposition in your life. Uh, This week, we're looking at the issue of how do you overcome conflict in your life. And then next week, we're going to look at the issue of how do you overcome discouragement in your life because all three of those are present. When you begin rebuilding life, when you begin rebuilding relationships or situations in your life that you're going to have to deal, and you will have to deal with all three of those. And so tonight, we're going to look at this issue that that maybe all of us can relate to. is It's just this issue of of just dealing with conflict or or dealing with problems. And and let me tell you this uh, about problems is uh, unresolved problems are like unresolved debt that you know that is there, but you're just unwilling to do anything about it. So you try to suppress all the reminders, all the notices, and you try to suppress them, but man, you just know that like that unresolved debt is just hanging over you, but you're unwilling to do anything about it. And if you're not careful, you suppress all of these reminders and you suppress all of the symptoms that it's there until it destroys your happiness and until it destroys your peace maybe even brings you into a time of great fear so can I tell you this tonight your problems are not destroying you problems do not destroy you unresolved problems do And we've got to understand, if we're going to rebuild a life, we've got to understand the difference. Listen, we all have problems in life, and we all deal with problems in life. Your problems do not destroy you. Your unresolved problems do. The things that you know are there, that you're just absolutely unwilling to do anything about. Fact is, psychologists and and medical doctors tell us that this issue of of unresolved problems in life can give a person chronic stress, chronic illness, uh, discouragement, depression. It can give a person a sense of hopelessness. It can give a person a sense of fear. Unresolved problems can carry a person into deep depression if we're not careful. And so tonight, we're going to look at this issue of how do we? I mean, we talk a lot about problems, and we talk a lot about unresolved problems and problems. And So how do you overcome unresolved problems? How do you overcome that in life? Nehemiah chapter 5, if you have your Bibles, you could, uh, you could turn there with me. And we're just going to walk through this, this book together, and we're going to, this chapter together, and we're going to look at this issue of unresolved problems, because Nehemiah has to deal with or address some problems that are going on within their group of people, within the, in the Jewish people. And listen, a leader, whether it's, the, whether it's the spiritual leader of a home, the leader of a business, the leader of an organization, cannot ignore problems. If unity, and just please understand this, unity in family, unity in church, unity in career, unity in relationships does not happen by accident. It is our nature to be self-centered. 
It is our nature to only care, only worry about ourselves. In fact, is James tells us this, says, you know the conflicts that you're having, the problems that you're having? It's because of the desires within you. So by nature, we are not people of unity. And so to build unity in relationships, it takes work. It not only takes work to build unity, but it takes work to maintain unity. And so, so Nehemiah is rebuilding this wall. It's really more, and more than that, and it's deeper than that. It's bringing a people group back that were very unfaithful to faithfulness. And so because of that, there's some, there's some hurt, there's some pain, there's some issues going on. It's a part of everybody's life when you begin rebuilding a life. And so Nehemiah teaches us the principle of how to overcome conflict, how to resolve problems in your life. We're just going to start reading. We're going to read all the way through Nehemiah chapter five. And let's just go here. here, Here's what it says. Verse one. Now there arose a great outcry. So here comes the problem. Here comes the conflict. All of a sudden it just kind of spills out. They've been working on the wall. They're about halfway done. And so now there arose a great outcry of the people and of their wives against the Jewish brothers. This is internal conflict. The most difficult conflict to deal with. This isn't conflict with enemies. This isn't conflict with people they really don't like. I mean, isn't that true? The most difficult conflict for us to deal with is from people that we least expect it. It is from people that, that are our friends or that are family or that loves us deeply. That is the most difficult. So he's not dealing. We've already looked at opposition. Opposition is external conflict. Man, this is internal for there arose, for there were those who said, with our sons and our daughters, we are many. So let us get grain that we may eat and keep alive. There, there were those who also said, so now then they're just talking about their issues and their problems. We are mortgaging our fields, our vineyards, our houses to get grain because of the famine. And there were those who said, we have borrowed money for the, for, for the king's tax and on our fields and on our vineyards. Now our flesh is is as the flesh of our brothers. Our children are as their children. We are forcing our sons and daughters to be slaves. And some of our daughters have already been enslaved, but it's not in our power to help it. In other words, you're saying there's absolutely nothing we can do. I mean, there's that sense of conflict, of helplessness, hopelessness. Um, There's that sense of conflict that that you're not empowered. Okay? So it's all of that. For the other men have our fields and our vineyards. So here's what is going on. The wives are upset and the wives have good reason to be upset. The men are are building on the walls. They're pouring themselves into this project to rebuild the walls in 52 days. And guess what? The farms are being ignored. Their careers, their passions, their their professions, everything is kind of going south because the men are spending all of their time working on the wall. There's also a famine in the land and the Bible doesn't tell us why there's a famine. It may be that none of the farmers are working the fields, they're on the walls. And so the wives are back home and they're trying to hold the family together, but boy, there's no income. And not only that, because they're all on the wall, They're going into a recession. They're going into a depression because their economy is taking a huge hit. And so what's happening is now they're being taxed to death because trade has completely stopped because everybody's working on the wall. And so because there's no food, they make some decisions and they begin to mortgage their their fields and their homes and 
and start selling stuff. So, okay, so they begin taking their golf clubs and putting them on eBay or putting them on Craigslist. They start selling cars. They start, start doing that whole deal, and they're holding garage sales, bake sales. They're doing everything they can to gain money because, remember, the Scripture says it's the Jewish brothers. So the, the rich Christians are op- oppressing or taken advantage of the poor Christians. And so the poor Christians, they can't eat. They can't pay their taxes. They ask, there's nothing we can do. What can we do? And they're told by the government, sell us your kids. We want your children as slaves. And remember, this is Jews doing this to Jews. And remember the commandment that they live by? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, your mind, your soul. And love your neighbor as yourself. They were just not loving each other. They were taking advantage of each other. And they were abusing each other. The fact is the Old Testament gives instructions of how they were to operate within the family or within the community. It's basically just three things. That they were to care for the poor. Uh, if they, it was okay to lend money to another Jew, you just couldn't charge interest. And then you could never enslave a fellow Jew. And they weren't just breaking one. And they're breaking all three. And they're just not charging interest. They are charging a high rate of interest. And not only are they not loving them, but they're selling them. And Nehemiah as a leader sees this. It's a leader's job with the spiritual leader of the home when there's a conflict for him to deal with it and not ignore it. It's the leader's job in a church. It's a leader's job in business. It's a leader's job in marriage. And Nehemiah was a leader. And Nehemiah could not turn his head. I mean, after all, what is good? Rebuilding a wall in 52 days. If there is no unity. If there are no friendships. If there's no relationships. What good of it is to have a church if no one loves each other? No one cares about each other. No one's willing to get involved in anybody else's life. How can a church ever be a light into the community if a church cannot love and care for one another? What good of a is it? What good is a family if there's no unity? What good is marriage if there's no friendships? There's no relationship. And that was Nehemiah's issue. In Philippians chapter 4, we don't even have time to read it tonight, but in Philippians chapter 4, Paul is, as the leader, is so concerned because unity is being threatened in the church there in Philippi. Two ladies couldn't get along. And it was a non-doctrinal issue. 
Now, you that have been in church for years and all of your life, you know church conflict very seldom, in fact, is never comes over doctrinal issues. It's all the time over non-doctrinal issues. And so these two ladies were at odds with each other and they're at war with one another to where the church is beginning to choose sides. And to where Paul begins, to, as the leader, knows that he has to step in. And in verse 1, he kind of encourages them, hey, get along. And then, uh, let me just read some of this. Verse 3. He said, yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women. In other words, don't choose sides. Just help these women to be able to get along. Who have labored side by side with me in the gospel. I mean, remember, ladies, remember, you're both believers in Christ. Remember, you're both Christians. Remember, you have labored together. He said, you've labored side by side. He says, remember, verse 4, your name is in the Lamb's book of life. Rejoice always again. I say rejoice. And just let everyone know that you're reasonable. And here's the interesting thing. Paul never said who was right and who was wrong. He said, learn to get along. Because unity threatens everything about a church. Unity threatens... I mean, it, it's like someone saying, as long as they sing in the praise team, I'm not singing. As long as they're in that Bible study, I'm not going. As long as she or he shows up at the potluck or the picnic, you will not see me there. As long as they're a part of the church, I'll find another church. It's those kind of issues that are going on. And Paul deals with this issue and says... Man, learn to love one another. Because conflict hurts the testimony of a church. And it hurts your ability to influence others. It is easier for a church to sing in harmony with one another than it is to live in harmony with one another. Larry Osborne said this about unity. He says, I don't think it's an accident that Jesus predicted church growth, but prayed for unity. This is the last prayer to us as believers. Live in unity with one another. Don't carry those petty offenses. Don't carry all of that stuff. Just learn to live in unity. So when conflict comes, the leader has to deal with it. And here's what Nehemiah does. Three things that he does, which is so important. Here's the first thing that happens when. I'm not saying if, but when conflict comes in your life, you're going to have to learn to process your emotions. fact is, you're going to have to learn to process your emotions before you talk with them. Here's what happens a lot of times. A lot of people get offended. They get hurt. And here's what they want to do. They, don't, they never process their, their, their emotions to, with themselves. And they go process their emotions with the other person. And they spew all over. They don't know why they're mad. They don't know why they're upset. They just know they're hurt. They just know they're offended. Here's what Nehemiah does. Watch this. I was very, I was very angry when I heard their outcry, when I heard what was going on. Now, Nehemiah's He's honest about this issue of anger. Anger. There's a such thing as righteous anger. There are some things that we should get angry about. <laughs> Ephesians says, in your anger, do not sin. Anger is not sin. We, we have so much problems with anger in our time because here's what we do. We equate anger with abuse. Whenever we talk about someone getting angry, 
We equate it with abuse. Someone's getting yelled at. Someone's getting hurt. Someone's getting hit. Someone's getting hurt emotionally. There's a such thing as righteous anger. There are some things that we should be angry about when people are oppressed, when people are taken advantage of. And Nehemiah understood that. And so watch this, verse 7, he says, So I was very angry. I wasn't a little bit angry. And here's what he did. He processed out his emotions. And he said, verse 7, he says, And I took counsel with myself. You realize that's the first step of getting your anger, getting your conflict under control? This is what you do before you have that conversation with that person. This is what you do before you send that text message. This is what you do before you send that email. This is what you do before you update your Facebook or you put a comment on their Facebook. (laughs) This is what you do prior. Listen. If you don't know why you're angry, if you don't know why you're hurt, if you don't know what is driving, anger is not a primary emotion. It's secondary. There is something that drives your anger. If you do not take counsel with yourself, if you do not correctly understand, why am I angry? Why am I hurt? Why do I continue to carry this? If you do not get your anger under control, if by processing your emotions, he said, I took counsel. We don't know how long that was. We just know that he did. If you do not come to the point, and if I do not come to the point to understand that before you have that face-to-face conversation, you will not resolve the issue. That's why people can have so many conversations over and over and over about the same problem, the same issue. Resolving conflict is not having a conversation about it. It's not yelling and screaming about it. It's much deeper than that. In Nehemiah, he took counsel with himself and he realized a couple of things. He realized why he was angry. He also realized that he was as guilty as some others. We're going to see that in a minute. See, Nehemiah owned what is his. There are so many times when we get angry, we're perfect. It's their problem. It's their issues. It's what they said. It's what they did. It's how they responded. Nehemiah heard the accusations. He heard the outcry. And he realized, you know what? I need to own some of my stuff too. So you've got to be willing to look at them. You've got to be willing to look at yourself. You've got to be willing to process out your stuff and own what is yours. So the first thing you and I must do if we're going to resolve conflict is we must take counsel with ourselves. We must process out our emotions. The second thing is this. You have to go to the person. You have to go talk to the person and, that has hurt you or offended you. And can I just tell you that is so important. So many times we go to everybody but them. Man, we go to everybody else and let everybody else know how they hurt us. Everybody else know how they offended us because what drives that is we say, well, I just don't like conflict. Biblically, no one can use that excuse. 
You cannot be a person that says, you know what, I just don't look like conflict, so I don't talk to anybody. I don't, I don't resolve any of the issues because here's the deal. Your problems do not destroy you. Your unresolved problems are what destroys you and hurts you. And so Nehemiah is angry because they were threatening the unity of the people. And So watch this. So, and, I took counsel with myself, and I brought charges against the nobles and the officials. I went and talked to them. And I said to them, you are exacting interest each from his brother. And I held a great assembly against them. And I said to them, we, as far as we are able, have brought back our Jewish brothers who have been sold to the nations. But you even sell your brothers that they may be sold to us. They were silent and could not find a word to say. And they, were knew, they knew they were wrong. But look at what isn't present in Nehemiah's confrontation. He wasn't angry at this point. He didn't call them names. He didn't question their Christianity. He didn't question, question their faith. He didn't question them as human beings and people. He just said, here's what's going on. Here's what's happening. Nehemiah went to them because he understood what was at stake. He understood what the problem was. Your problems do not destroy you. Your unresolved problems do. My guess here tonight, it's your unresolved problems that are weighing on you. That burden you. That hang over you like unresolved debt. And you're ignoring all the notices, all the symptoms. And it's robbing you of peace and comfort and happiness. It can drive chronic illness, stress, depression, or anger. The last thing that Nehemiah does is he's willing to reconcile. I don't know why it is, but when you get into this issue of problems and conflict, you ever, ever been in conflict with someone? And they just like want to, trying to think of a nice way to say it. Uh, they just want to throw up on you. But they don't want to resolve it. They don't want to continue in relationship with you. They don't want to continue with you. They just want to let you know how bad and horrible you are and just kind of let you have it. And even if you said you're sorry, please forgive me, I'll change everything, that that they would still walk away. You have to be willing. You have to be willing to reconcile. And listen, forgiveness one-sided. Reconciliation is two parties changing mutually. 
You cannot re reconcile with an individual if they're not willing to reconcile with you. Watch this. So, verse 9, here's what Nehemiah said. After they were silent and they couldn't find a word to say and no telling how long that took. And Nehemiah said, Man, the thing that you're doing is not good. You see what's missing? You know, since the anger, the sarcasm, the bitterness, the hate, I mean, you almost sense he, he cares for them. Let me just tell you, the, the thing that you're not doing, guys, the thing that you're doing is just not good. It's just not healthy. I mean, and then he goes on and says, and we'll read it, what you're doing is not good for you. You notice that his focus is, I have concern for you. So many times in conflict, we get so angry that it's not even like they're our wife any longer. They're not even, it's not even like they're our husband any longer or our friend any longer. That we have so divorced ourselves from our emotions. I said process your emotions, not divorce yourself from your emotions. Not separate from your, process out your emotions. And you have this sense that even though that Nehemiah is upset and angry and frustrated, he's processed out his, his, his anger and his emotions. He says, what you're doing is not good for you as well as them. Watch this. Let's read on. Are you not to walk in the fear of our God? To prevent the taunts of the nations of our enemy? Guys, you're destroying our testimony. You're destroying our influence in the community. You're destroying everything about us. Ought you not walk in the fear of God? And I'm concerned about you. That God's going to remove his peace or his blessing from you. Watch verse 10. Here's so important. Moreover, I and my brothers and my servants, Nehemiah owns what is his. Can you imagine the transparency of a leader? You can never reconcile with an individual. You can never live in deep relationship with an individual that is not willing to repent or own what is theirs. Nehemiah as a leader, he wasn't saying, you guys do this because I'm not. Nehemiah as a leader, he didn't even need to come clean. Now they all knew, but Nehemiah, when he processed out his emotions and he heard and it made him very angry, he realized that, you know what? I'm guilty as well. Maybe not for all three areas, but I'm for sure guilty in one. Moreover, I and my brothers and my servants are lending them money and grain. 
There may have been tears. There may have been brokenness associated with this. Watch this. Here comes reconciliation, but the most important thing is, yeah, it's important to reconcile. Yeah, it's important to to own what is ours, but repentance is what sets you free. Man, please hear me tonight. Repentance, not just reconciliation, is what sets you free. It's more than saying, God, I'm sorry I messed up. God, I'm sorry that I'm in this situation. God, I'm sorry that I'm in this, 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 this set of circumstances. God, I'm so embarrassed and I'm sorry for what I've done. It's okay to have those prayers, but it cannot stay there. Because what sets you free, what sets me free, what helps to make our hearts clean is this issue of repentance. Repentance is this, is a change of mind that leads to a change of action. It leads to a change of behavior. If you want to know if someone's really broken over what they've done, do they change the direction? Do they change their behavior? Watch what Nehemiah does. That next verse, he says, let us abandon the practice. That's repentance. I'm so sorry for what I've done. I'm so sorry for how I've hurt you. I'm so sorry for the situations, the circumstances that we're in. And guess what? Because of that, I'm stopping today. When you come to God... And you say, God, I am sorry for my actions. I'm sorry for what I've done. I'm sorry for the situation that I'm in. And you say, and not only that, I am abandoning the practice. You talk about healing in your life. You talk about healing in their life. Nehemiah, Nehemiah lives out the principle of repentance. Nehemiah was wealthy. And he's loaning money and grain to these people and he shouldn't have been. See, repentance, change of heart that leads to a change of mind that leads to a change of action. But restitution is, I'm going to make it right. Everybody I trashed you to, I'm calling them back. Everybody that I destroyed your name, I'm making a phone call. The stuff that I took from you, the stuff that I removed from you, I will make it right. Watch this. You just see this. Verse 11. Here we go a little bit deeper. Return to them this very day. That their fields, their vineyards, their olive orchards, their homes, their, and the percentage uh, of the money, grain, wine, and oil that you have been exacting from them. If you have abused someone, if you have taken advantage of someone, if you have hurt someone... If you have lied to someone, if you have cheated to someone, if you have made money out of dishonest gain, it's not enough just to say, I'm sorry. It's not enough just to say, you know what, I'm sorry, should have never done it. True healing comes when we are able to say, I'm not only sorry that I've done it, I'm abandoning the the practice and guess what? I'm returning everything to you that I stole from you. Whether it's your reputation, whether it's your character, whether it's financial, it's material. So Nehemiah is saying, let's go return to everybody. Let's all go. But we've taken from them. Maturity in the spiritual life 
is when we come to the point we understand ultimately break the heart of God. We want to make all of our offenses against people. Nehemiah understood, you know what, it's way deeper than that, the way that I carry my life. In verse 12 he says, Then they said, We will restore restoration, restitution, And require, man, this is just so rich. I could go on all night about these principles because they're all here. And I'm going to require nothing from you. So many times we get into conflict and we get into situations and I'll only reconcile with you and you better do this and you better do that and if you don't do this then I do that not these guys and we will do as you say then Nehemiah drops the hammer and says I'm bringing in your pastor Because in their time, they're going to make it binding. And I called the priest and made them swear, make an oath to do as they promised. You want to know if someone's changed? You want to know if someone's really sorry? It's how they walk from that point on. It's not what you promised. Anybody can promise anything. A promise is only as good as the one that is giving the promise. You want to know if it's genuine? How do they walk? From that... The proof of your sincerity with God is shown in our willingness... To make restitution with others. If you're genuine and sincere before God, you'll have a desire to be right with people. Then look what he does. Is, and he says this. He says, verse 13. He said, I also shook out the fold of my garment and said, so everybody's around. So may God shake out every man from his house and from his labor who does not keep his promise. May God remove the blessing off of your life. There are ways that we can position ourselves for God to bless us relationally. So may he be shaken out and emptied. And all the assembly said, amen, means I agree. May it be so. May it be true in my life. And praise the Lord. And the people did as they had promised. Moreover, from the time that I was appointed to be their governor in the land of Judah, uh, from the 20th year to the 32nd year uh, of Artaxerxes, the king, 12 years, neither I, watch this, neither I nor my brothers ate the food allowance of the governor. I kept my promise. I changed how the former governors who were before me laid heavy burdens on the people and took from them and their daily rations 40 shekels of silver. Even their servants lorded it over the people. But I, I did not do so. I made a huge, even the, I, 
I made a huge change in my life. Why? Not because of them. Why? Because of the fear of God. Spiritual maturity is deeper than just horizontal relationships. I treated you with integrity. I treated you the way that I should have. Not so much because of you, because of my fear of God, because I want him to bless my life. I also persevered in the work on the wall, and, the, and, and we acquired no land, and, and all my servants were gathered there for the work. Moreover, there were, were at my table 150 Jews and officials beside those who came to us uh, from the nations that were around us. At one point, he was taking interest from them. At one point, he was... He was hurting them. Now he's inviting him, them over to his house. He's feeding them free. A hundred and fifty of them. Now what was prepared at my expense from each day was one ox, six choice sheep and birds, and every ten days all kinds of wine in abundance. Yet for all this, I did not demand the food allowance of the governor. Wonder if... The reason that Nehemiah was able to rebuild the wall in 52 years when two men came before him and couldn't do it in 141 years is because God's blessing was on that man's life because of the way that he treated people around him. Because the service was too heavy on this people. Remember for good, oh my God, all that I have done for all these people. And Nehemiah goes to the whole church. He says, what I'm doing is not good. As public as sin is committed, as public as it should be confessed. If it just had been between Nehemiah and them, he would have never had to go before the whole church. But because it was so public... He said, may may God just shake you out of his blessing. You You want to know how revival happens in your life when you truly love people. Lives begin to change. And you know what? In Nehemiah's day, This wasn't a popular message. And it's no more popular today than it was in their day. And they dealt with their conflict, they dealt with their problems, and they rebuilt their lives, and God did some amazing things through this in this period. Are you at odds with anyone? Is there some unresolved conflict in your marriage, in your family, in your business, in your relationship that everyone knows about and it's hanging over you like unresolved debt? Do some of you need to process out your emotions go have a conversation with someone 
and then be willing to reconcile? Do some of you have tried that? And the other person wouldn't reconcile, wouldn't change, wouldn't repent? Your sin does not just affect you, but it it affects those around you. Problems. Problems don't destroy you. Unresolved problems do. Are you willing to go and talk to someone and And be willing to talk about the last 10%? So many times when we have conflict and we have those conversations, we hold back the 10% that's really bothering us, that's really hurting us. And we're so scared to verbalize it. We're so scared to say it because we're worried what will happen to the relationship. not Nehemiah. The most important problem or unresolved problem to take care of is an unresolved problem with God. These same principles work. Have you come to the point to resolve the issue in your life that your sins separate you from a holy, living, righteous God. And that if you'll reconcile with Him, God, I'm sorry for the sin in my life. I'm sorry for living separate from you. And Lord, tonight I want to come to you and accept you into my life and tell you how sorry I am. And I'm going to abandon the practice of living without you and I want you to be in my life is that the decision you you need to make would you bow your heads with me as we close heads bowed and your eyes closed would you just sit before the Lord I know we have with the song still and some came down to the altar and we're going to give you that opportunity one more time and in just a few minutes Chad and the worship team is going to lead us in a song and about how God is higher than any of our problems he's higher than any other that our problems may be over his head our head but they are under him and under his control and maybe tonight there's some unresolved issues going on in your life, whether it's relationships, whether it's a marriage, whether it's with children, whether it's a friend, whether it's a supervisor. But there may be some unresolved issues that you are dealing with tonight. Do you make a commitment to take counsel with yourself, to process out your emotions, to go to that person? without any accusation, name-calling, all of that other stuff, already figuring out their guilt and why they're wrong and all that stuff. And then be willing just to reconcile and repent and make restitution if you need to.
Maybe tonight some of you just need to accept him and ask him to come into your life. And in just a few minutes, some of you need to come down to the front. When we stand and we sing, our prayer partners are going to step out. They're going to meet me down here. There are going to be some godly people down here that would love to pray for you, would love to help you process out some emotion. Father, we thank you for tonight. Father, we thank you for your love and we thank you for your grace. Father, we thank you that you care for us deeply. Father, may we understand tonight that, Lord, that our problems do not destroy us. It's the unresolved problems. And may we be willing to resolve the problems around us, whether it's relationally or whether it's with you. May we use this time, may we use this song as a dedication, a commitment, as a reminder to us of who you are in our life. Father, we ask that there be great freedom in this place and that people would not be embarrassed or carry any fear, but they would be willing to get prayer if they need prayer. For we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.